Setting the record straight on salvation and evangelism, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. But the motives of salvation are not selfish. They're for the glory of God. That I'm saved and I'm right with God and now I can serve Him with my whole heart. We're not trying to talk people into receiving Jesus Christ. Evangelism, if you're looking for a definition, I love this. Evangelism is faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Christ so that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, repentance, and salvation to those who hear the word and obey the word. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So said famed British preacher Charles Spurgeon. But it's more than an assertion. It's a challenge for the Christian to really be a Christian. We'll get some help with that today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll find that in Romans chapter 10. The emphasis here is on reaching out with the gospel. And as we began to hear last time, a pastor's heart is needed for the job. Jeremiah chapter 3. It's not just someone's heart, it's the very heart of God. It's not a prayer that you might be a pastor or that you will pastor a church somewhere, although that might be your calling, and that may be what God's stirring up in you right now. Amen. That's great. But church, if we do not have the heart of God, his pastor's heart, then we are going to miss the tremendous, wonderful, open doors of Jesus Christ in ministering and serving other people. And we will relegate evangelism to some man or to some ministry when in totality and in reality, it's for us and it's a privilege and a gift I believe God has given to us to be able to tell other people about Jesus. Look at Jeremiah with me, with me would you? Chapter 3, verse 14. As Jeremiah too, a prophet of God, called into a very difficult ministry. Jeremiah in verse 14 says, Return, O backslidden children, says the Lord. I am married to you, and I will take you from one city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart. You hear that? Shepherds according to the very heart of God, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And gang, I'd love for you guys to pray that way. It will change you. It will change your whole perspective to have the heart of God, this pastor's heart, this desire just to be a servant, this desire to have the heart of God beating in you where your heart is broken over things. You're not fighting for your own way. You're, not, you're, just, you're developing in a desire to love people. Now flip back to Romans chapter 10, the application now to Israel. Remember Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul has turned his attention to the nation of Israel, to those Jewish people that would be hearing this letter. And he changes his direction in Romans 9, 10, and 11, talking about in chapter 9, the past dealings with Israel, in chapter 10, the present dealings with Israel, chapter 11, the future dealings with Israel, because we learn that God is not done with the nation of Israel and we pick up now in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. That's true, by the way. 
Not all of Israel has obeyed the gospel, but some have. Now, the nation as a whole has rejected Jesus as their Messiah, but some Jews have believed. We still see that happening today. So those of Jewish answers are still believing today. It's not a lot, but it's still there where Jews are calling upon the name of Jesus Christ as Messiah, and they're getting saved. But not all have obeyed, and that's true. That's true in Israel's past, and it's also true today. Not all obey the gospel. People will hear it. They'll understand it. And they'll even come to the place of feeling the pangs of conviction by the Holy Spirit and yet still resist and still say no and still walk away lost and unregenerate. For the children of Israel, well, we read on. Notice verse 16. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, they have, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, referring to the Gentiles. That's the Gentiles. Those that are not a nation, those that are not a part of the Jewish nation are Gentiles. And God says, I'm going to provoke you Jews to jealousy by those that are not a nation. I'll anger you by a foolish nation, verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. For those that are studying with us on Wednesday night in Deuteronomy, that is the pattern in the children of Israel's life. They were stiff-necked and hard-hearted and rebellious and contrary. And God was continually telling them, listen, stop it. Stop it. It's not good for you. And so for the Jews, God was using the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy, to use them to awaken a need in their heart to realize that God has sent the Messiah to them. You can jot this down in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. It says, They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. By God is predicting this. He's saying it's going to happen. And I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. And so as the Gentiles would speak of the joy that they found in the Messiah, the Jews would say, hey, hey, that's our Messiah. Why are you worshiping our Messiah? And for those that came to that conclusion, they would bow the knee to Jesus Christ and receive the salvation of their soul. We know in the book of Acts that the early church was predominantly made up of Jews. It wasn't until Cornelius was saved that Gentiles began to be saved in vast numbers. But we also read in the book of Acts that there were priests, Jewish priests, that got saved. And so it was happening little by little, piece by piece, person by person. Listen, we are not responsible, church, for someone's response to the gospel. You go, well, I share all the time, and all I get is rejection after rejection after rejection, and it gets kind of tiring to hear all the rejections. Well, you're not responsible for how somebody responds to the gospel. That's not your responsibility at all. Not everyone's going to like the message or even like you. Have you noticed that? It's like they liked you when you were a rank unbeliever, but now that you're saved, you're like, I don't know, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. All you talk about is Jesus, and you got that Bible all the time, and you're at church, worshiping. I don't, you know, they're not even going to like you sometimes. Not everyone's going to like the message. Not everyone's going to understand fully the first time. Their hearts are so incredibly hard that it's going to take a few times in the sovereignty and the patience of God as he softens their heart, and they hear the message. Not everyone's going to get it the first time. Not everyone's going to respond the same way. You can jot this down. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said it was so. 
He gives us the parable of the sower. And as the sower sows seed, he sows four seeds by way of example, but only one of those seeds takes root and bears fruit. So we're not responsible for someone's response. Our responsibility is simply to share, to give forth God's word. I love verse 17, don't you? It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Evangelism is not some clever and creative way to try to talk someone into believing in Jesus Christ. So we got the new package, the new program, the evangelistic strategy, and we're going to unleash it on this city, and God's going to do a major work of revival. It's not, that's not evangelism. Evangelism is us opening our mouths and the Holy Spirit taking our words from God's word and exploding in someone's heart to the point of response and repentance. It's not some new package that's being sold or some new strategy that's out there. It's simply sharing God's word. We're not trying to persuade people. Evangelism in some circles has become something along these lines where, you know, here, hey, everybody, Jesus is really cool, and if you just come to Jesus, you're going to get a lot better package than what you're at right now. You know, I know life's tough right now, and I know life's difficult. You know, you come to Jesus, you'll be prosperous. You'll never be sick again. You'll have all kinds of joy and happiness. You'll never shed another tear in your life because, I mean, Jesus, he's the real deal, and you can get something better with Jesus than you got with the world. No, no. Evangelism is letting people know that sin is destroying their lives. And when they come to Jesus, things might become a little bit better for them because of the abundant life, but it might become worse as they begin to deal with all the things in their life that they've allowed to push them away from God. That the judgment of God is now over them. They are living under the judgment of God. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, turning from their sin and turning to God, oh, they're getting eternal life and abundant life for sure. But the motives of salvation are not selfish. They're for the glory of God. That I'm saved and I'm right with God and now I can serve him with my whole heart. We're not trying to talk people into receiving Jesus Christ. Evangelism, if you're looking for a definition, I love this. Evangelism is faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Christ so that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, repentance, and salvation to those who hear the word and obey the word. Let me just repeat it because it is a great summary of what I see God doing through evangelism. Evangelism is faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Christ so that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, repentance, and salvation to those who hear the word and obey the word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. And so you realize now that that's why we place such a great and large emphasis in every area of our ministry here at Calvary upon the Word of God, both preaching and teaching it. We teach God's Word word by word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book, from beginning to end. We teach your kids the Bible downstairs in a way that they can understand it. In our youth ministries, junior and senior high, teaching them the Word of God, rooting them in God's Word so that when we go out into the world, they have an anchor of their soul, Jesus Christ, and understand the Word of God, they know how to use it. And here in the sanctuary, week after week, month after month, what do we do but study the Word of God? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What that means is, is the more you hear the Word of God, the more your faith will be strengthened. You hear the Word of God taught. You hear the Word of God read. You hear the Word of God in what you have memorized, and you can recite it to yourself. 
That's why we place a great emphasis not only on the teaching of the Word of God, but also on the responsibility or the privilege that you have in having the Word of God. We never want to train you or teach you as a church that you don't need to bring your Bibles to church because we're just going to pop the words up on the screen for you and you can just have them there or we're going to have them in your lap and we'll print all the verses out for you. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to have a Bible and it would make sense to bring it here because you're going to need it here. And even if you don't have it, that's cool. We have them there for you because we want you to use the Word of God. We want you to have it. We want you to read it. We want you to mark it. We want you to use it. We want you to wear it out so that there, as your Bible is worn out, you won't be worn out as a Christian. You'll be built up in Him. There is nothing else that converts the soul. And there is nothing else that builds your faith but the Word of God. You don't want to come here for my opinions or the opinions of some famous author that's got a bestseller today. The opinions of man, have you noticed, they change. So what was hot 30 years ago? Well, what was hot 30 years ago? Nobody remembers. But I'll tell you what, if the Word of God was proclaimed 30 years ago, guess what? It's the same today. (laughs) The Word of God is still solid. We can trust the Word of God. You don't want to set your sights on some man or some pastor or some ministry because man and ministry and pastors will let you down. But you know what? Jesus Christ will never let you down. Ever, never, ever. His word is sure and steadfast. No matter what's going on in your life, up, down, left, right, doesn't matter. God's word remains the same. And faith, it's true today as it was yesterday. Amen. It's the same today as it was yesterday. If you needed your faith boosted yesterday, it comes through the Word of God. If you need it, faith boosted, you know, right now, right? What's happening right now in your life is your faith is being encouraged. You're being boosted in your faith right now. That's why even as we study the Word of God, we read it first, and then we comment on it, and we turn over here. I mean, that's why I want you to turn with me. I want you to take your Bible and get used to it, even if it's uncomfortable for you. Well, you know what? I don't know all the books of the Bible. You know, you tell me this book and that book, and I can't find it. By the time I find it, you're done reading. We're back. I might as well not turn. No, 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 no. This is where cheating is okay. Because you could peek over on your neighbor, you know, and say, where is it again? Is it by Job? Or, or you could get those little tabs and put them on and find Or you can buy those little Bibles that have the indentations and they have the books of the Bible there. Or, or you can use the table of contents where it shows you what page number that book of the Bible is. Because over time, let me tell you, there's only 66 books in the Bible. There's only 66 you need to learn. And you can learn them very, very quickly as you turn. And then you write little notes in there, what God's speaking to your heart in your Bible for your life. And it's incredible. And yeah, technology's cool. And perhaps one day we'll use technology in a way that might help you, but never, I pray, in a way that would hurt you and harm you and teach you in some way not to depend on God's word in your lap, on, in your life, all over, everywhere. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, you know, Paul reminds us that God has made a way of escape for those that are caught up and trapped by sin. He's made a way of escape. God has provided a way of escape through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the way of salvation has been offered to all men everywhere. Even to the Jew. Even in their rejection as a nation, individuals can be saved. It says in verse 18, the sound has gone out into all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. Do you know I've noticed with God that there's an amazing patience that He demonstrates. He's amazingly patient. He will wait and does wait for you to come to him, for you to respond to all the knowledge that you've gained in understanding the good news that your sins can be forgiven. He will and he is. Even as we read today in Psalm 86 together, speaking of God's long suffering, 
In Psalm 86, 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. You can jot this down in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, you can jot that down. It says, however, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even right now, if you don't care about God or the things of God, he cares about you. I mean, even right now, you're like, I, I'm, I'm hoping you're done really quick here, Pastor, because I'm done with this, man. I don't care about God. I'm only here because, hey, I said I'd come here, and, and it's kind of a deal, you know. I said I'd come here, and then I get my end of the deal later this afternoon. And, you know, even if you're here, and you're, you're hard-hearted, and you're bitter, and you're angry, and you don't care about the things of God, let me just say, God cares about you, and he loves you greatly. I mean, notice this. Again, in Romans chapter 10, in verse 20, it says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That is the picture of God revealing himself to us. This whole idea that the world is made up of believers and seekers, well, listen, the Bible says nobody seeks after God. And if you even have a pang of desire for God, it's because God has drawn you to himself. I mean, the idea that, well, you know, I'll find God whenever I want to find God. No, you won't. It's not on you. He says, I was found by people that didn't even care about me. I mean, I wonder how many of you share that testimony. Many came up last night, so that's me. I didn't care about God. I mean, even when people started talking about God, I said, I don't care. Get out of my face. Get out of my life. And some of you took it even to a farther extreme where you not only didn't care, but you lived radically rebellious against the things of God. And guess what? God had his way with you, didn't he? He found you. You didn't find God. You were lost. God's not lost. (laughs) Can you imagine God walking around the Garden of Eden? Hello, where am I? What's this all about? (laughs) Oh, God's not lost, but you might be. And if you're lost today, God, he has your number. He's been speaking to you even right now. I mean, he's got your number. And that's why I believe it's such a joy and a privilege to have those beautiful feet. Yes, you have beautiful feet when you share the gospel. How beautiful they are when you bring good news and glad tidings. How it warms your heart and brings people to an understanding of their need of Jesus Christ. Just sharing and caring, church. Motivated by love. Strengthened by his spirit. Encouraged by life. Don't give up on those that you're sharing with. Don't throw in the towel. I mean, aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? Oh, you cry. No. <laughs> guy, he's never going to. Everybody around him doesn't think he's going to make it. I'm, I'm kind of convinced, too. He's not going to make it. Next. Man, God is passionately, patiently pursuing you. And what a joy we have when we lead someone to the realization, and it might even be a reminder for you, this realization that nothing on this earth will fill that empty spiritual void in your life. Nothing. Nothing on this earth can help you break the cycle of sin. 
Nothing on this earth will bring full satisfaction. Will re- nothing on this earth will remove the burdens of guilt and shame and condemnation that comes by sin. There is nothing on this earth, there is no good work in your life that could possibly remove the judgment and condemnation that comes by your separation from God by sin. There is nothing that can replace the full offer of forgiveness that comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. When you begin to talk to people like that in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different environments, with a variety of different vocabularies, and you begin to show them the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ, that through saving faith and surrender to Jesus will wash a person from their sins and cleanse them and give them new life. Listen, there is nothing like being sent out for Jesus Christ as an ambassador to share the good news. There's nothing like it. And if you have found yourself in a place where that does not describe your life, you are missing out. And you may very well be in rebellion against God. Oh, it doesn't mean that you're a majorly rebellious person, but this one area you've chosen not to follow through, just this one area. And what I have found is that when people start dealing with just one area, it doesn't stay one area for long. It starts to seep into every other area of their life. So why not just be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? And since we're all evangelists, all every one of us, all of us are evangelists. All of us have been called to the mission field. All of us have been sent out like Isaiah was, where we may not have been at that place. Maybe God's bringing that place right now. Well, here I am, send me. Here am I, send me. Lord, I'm right here. I'm ready to go. Tell me where and tell me what and tell me who. I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like just being that loving vessel of the Lord to bring joy and blessing into people's lives by sharing with them the gospel, the good news, the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Will you accept the challenge to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to share his gospel with a lost and dying world? We hope you will, and that you'll continue in Romans with us here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor's message can be heard again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, you talked today about being an ambassador. Can you give our listeners one or two things that an ambassador of Christ must say or do if he or she is to be faithful to that calling of representing the kingdom? Yeah, I love that picture, uh, an ambassador. You know, an ambassador is a, is a government official that is sent, uh, you know, a representative of a foreign country that's sent with a message. So I think it's important to remember, number one, that we are someone that's sent. That this isn't done out of our own accord. And because we're someone sent, secondly, we have a responsibility to communicate on behalf of the person that sent us. Of course, for us, it's the kingdom of God. It is, uh, it is the one true God that has sent us with a message conveying his love and care for society. So we can't forget that we've, we're not only number one sent, but who sent us. And then thirdly, we want to remember that we're sent with his message. We don't have permission to change the message. As it's wisely been said, the methodology of proclaiming the gospel changes, but the message never changes. The methodology changes because time changes and technology changes, and there's a lot of change, but one thing doesn't change, and that's the message. So as an ambassador, we don't have permission to change the message. We don't have permission, uh, as you might hear it say today, to water down the gospel. 
This world does not need a watered-down gospel. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we want to deliver the same message that Jesus delivered. And you might be surprised, and you might have forgotten this, but in the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, it was clearly declared that he came with a message of what? That's right, repentance. His message is one of repentance. Repentance says this, the condition you're in right now is wrong and rebellious, and it has separated you from God. And the message that I declare to you today as an ambassador of Jesus Christ is that God loves you, and he is calling you to turn away from your sins, to repent of them, and submit and surrender your life to him today. Isn't that exciting? So as an ambassador, remember you're one sent Remember the message that the messenger, the person that sent you, remember the message that's been given to you, and let's not mess it up. Let's not water it down. Let's give the full gospel to the full world to see full life change. Great question. Thanks for those encouraging words, Pastor Ed. With the COVID-19 pandemic going on, you might have a little extra time on your hands these days as you're at home. Why not pull out a good book that can build you up in the Lord? We'd like to suggest A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.